Hola, hola, hola. You are now tuned in to Pitch Creek, the Double Entendre podcast. I'm your host, Sean, and today I'm joined by two of my friends. To my left is someone who is my co-worker. We were friends, and then we were not friends again, and then we came back after I cussed his ass out, and we are friends <laughs> once again. It is Jose. This is the first time that he has been on the podcast, so you be kind to him. Jose, say hello to the people. Hey guys, Jose here. So glad to be here. And for the record, we're always friends. So he said. All right. And to his left, it's a person who's been on all of the three episodes. He was in politics. He moved on to the relationship part one and relationship part two. And he is back. That is David, a.k.a. Peter. Say hello to the people, Peter. Well, I'm glad you said that right. Hey everyone, I'm glad to be back. You know, just sit tight, cup, grab your cup of coffee, tune in. We're glad to be here with you guys again. And thank you for the support. All right, so that is right. We're going to talk a little bit today about some current events and then we are going to do a topic of whose success is it anyway? We'll tell you what that means once we go into the episode. So like David said, grab your coffee if you're over the age 21 like we are in this room. We're having an adult beverage. Um, We're having vodka with some cranberry juice and some orange juice and Jose is keeping it plain and simple with some vodka and club soda. Holler! Hello. Hello. And if you're not 21, then get you some coffee, get you some tea, get you some pop. For those who don't know what pop is, that is soda. soda. <laughs> or get you some great H T. Oh, wait, H2O. H2O, that is water. Oh, Kool-Aid. All right. And so we look forward to this and we are going in. Okay, we are now into the episode. So before we go to the topic of whose success is it anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the current topics that's going on. So we are now entering into like the longest government shutdown in U.S. history. So there is approximately what, Jose, like six agencies that are currently... Um, the employees are not getting paid for their services. Is that right? Yeah, about 800,000 employees. 800,000 employees. That means 800,000 people are not getting paid. And a lot of people are thinking like, okay, so these are government employees. Like they are making money. But what you need to realize is that there are government employees who are GS5, GS7, GS9s that are living here, particularly in the Washington, D.C. area and throughout the United States. And those individuals who are working at that level, they're not making a lot of money. I mean, that's like $45,000, right? And some of these individuals are the sole breadwinner for their homes. That means that their families are dependent on these paychecks so that they can pay rent, they can buy groceries, they can take the kids to school, they can get the kids in their after-school care. So... Let me ask you this, Jose. What do you think about this government shutdown? It's horrible. Uh, You know, you say government employees, but it also excludes contractors. Uh, One of my best friends is a contractor for the Department of State, and she's still getting paid. And I think that's because the government paid the contract up until the end of this month. So she's getting paid up until the next two weeks. So I actually called her about a week ago and I let her know, hey, if you need anything, um, you know, you need some money for groceries, you need some money for this or that, I'm perfectly fine, you know, giving you my money. Um, So she let me know, it's like, hey, you know, we're gonna be paid for the next two weeks. So don't forget about the contractors too, because a lot of the population here in DC and Virginia and Maryland, they're also contractors and they're being affected by this. But my point is that it's, horrible and i wouldn't want to be in their feet um and unfortunately i think that this is gonna last a while uh people say maybe it may last until the end of the month but i think it's gonna last for a few months unfortunately and why do you think that i don't think that trump is going to give up his leverage 
if you think about it right now he's making the point that he's not going to open the government until he gets what he wants if he gives sin and opens the government he may not have another chance to do that so until he gets what he wants he's not gonna do what other people want which is open the government so and, and, and what do you mean by get what he wants what to get the wall um build that wall right yeah he build wants that wall it, yeah the wall the big wall and uh i mean let's be honest this is his leverage if he wants the wall and he um, he's gonna open the government until he gets that wall and this is opportunity to do so so if he doesn't get it now he's not gonna be able to shut it up again so that's what i'm talking about right now all right so david aka peter um what do you think about the government shutdown well you know i don't really have that much experience or knowledge about um the situation the only thing that i know that is um he's doing for something that he wants to get out of it which is you know build the wall and collect all this money that instead of focusing and investing in something else more productive you know like hunger or people in need he focusing on building this wall that i mean to be honest at the end of the day like no matter how thick or how big this wall is there will be so many ways for people to come into this to the country so i do believe it's just a waste of time and he doesn't stop to think that his actions actually affect other people but but you know one of the things that he says is that these individuals will i'm i'm paraphrasing i'm not going to do the time um to research exactly what he said because I've come to know that no matter what he says, it'll be in black and white and he can hear a recording and he would swear up and down he didn't say it. So it doesn't matter if I say it directly or not. But what I paraphrase him saying is that the government employees are who are currently furloughed, who are currently not been paid, um, actually support his cause because they want to get great border security and they will find a way. And so... I don't know about you all. I grew up in a situation where we didn't have a lot of money. So if my mom couldn't work because there was no male in the household, I was grew up in a single home. If my mom didn't work and didn't have pay, then I don't know what we would do to be able to survive. So there are individuals who are you know, single parents and this is their only source of income. And unfortunately, a lot of people, particularly in the minority um, communities, they don't know about investing. They don't know about the concept of saving. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about individuals who need to now make decisions about paying rent versus getting food or getting paying their light bill versus getting medicine for their children. Um, and so I don't know if you all know of any. I know you said, Jose, you have a friend. Um, but I have co-workers that I used to work with when I used to work for the government who are laid off and I reached out to them. It's stressful um, to deal with that. Do you know anybody, David, who is currently affected by the shutdown? Actually, I do. Uh, there is a friend of one of my friends. Well, actually, his boyfriend of a friend of mine. He's actually affect, uh, affected by the uh, shutdown right now and you know not to go too much in details about his personal life and stuff like that but all i know is that sometimes they shut down they just come out of the nowhere and they're not even prepared with savings like you said uh there are people that like they are thinking of what to uh to spend the less money the less money that they have so far like either rent or food either medicine or light bill so yeah i do have i do have friends that are being affected by it and i don't know if any of you recently traveled but one of the agencies that's affected by this is tsa trump security administration um and they are not getting paid um even though they're going to the airport every day um i traveled recently to st louis um and you can feel the difference particularly in regards to pre TSA pre-check like it was a long ass line 
and it was a long ass line because I could tell um, just that there were not a lot of, of employees there. And I sitting here now as we're um, doing this podcast, I'm receiving text messages from my friends who are traveling from New Orleans and they actually just shut down the airport. So individuals actually, according to this text message, now I don't, I'm not a news, I don't have any news people out on the scene, but according to them, there are folks who were left off of their plane because TSA shut down because they just don't have the manpower. Um, so I just think the overall, the shutdown is bullshit, to say it lightly. Yep. Just let it out. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. So for those government employees who are affected by this, um, you know, there are a lot of programs that's going out locally. Individuals are doing groceries. Individuals are doing um, helping folks pay for things. So look right. out, research, Google, figure out what's going on in your neighborhood. Go to your local church if you need some help. And quite frankly, don't be afraid or ashamed to ask for help because right. everyone right. needs someone sometime. That was a song. Uh, that was a, a uh, jingle, I, I right? I don't know if there was a, a song, though, but yeah. Yeah, you're right. They, they shouldn't be... needs someone <laughs> sometimes. They shouldn't, they shouldn't feel uh, ashamed or embarrassed for asking for help. That's right. Yeah. So so pull up your... Don't worry about it. Figure it out. Get with your local um, community um, and see what's offering out there um, and see how you can alleviate some of the stress. I will keep you in my prayers. Um, I know that's something that a lot of people are saying, but there's only so much we can do from a distance. So um, big ups to those government employees who are actually going to work every day, even though they're not being paid. Um, It's just unfortunate. And hopefully one day this president will figure out, well, the individual in the White House will figure out um, that everyone is not supporting this wall. Um, so we've talked about the wall on several episodes. We're not going to go too much in that. Um, and so now we are going to talk about Steve King. Before we go into the topic, I want you all to listen to Steve King's, um, house address, um, in response to a resolution that was disapproving his comments at a recent interview with the New York times, um, where there was some discussion about race. Um, white supremacists, nationalists, and Western civilization. Take a listen, um, and then we will begin our commentary. We're having a little technical difficulties. Bear with me, please. (laughs) (laughs) This is a one-man shop podcast. Here we go. The gravity of this issue that's before us. I can hear it in the voice of the gentleman from Georgia. I can hear it from Mr. Clyburn. I can hear it from Mr. Nadler. And I know all of you. I think I know all of you well. I thought you all knew me well. But I began to read this resolution, um, Madam Speaker, and I started with the first whereas, and I'm going to read it as it's here. Whereas, on January 10th, 2019, Representative Steve King was quoted as asking, quote, white nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization, there's there's a dash in there, a pause. How did that language become offensive? Close quote. I understand how you interpreted my words when you read them this way. There is no tape for this interview that I did. It was 56 minutes long. There are some notes on the other end, but there is no tape. There's no way to go back and listen. But I can tell you this, that ideology never shows up in my head. I don't know how it could possibly come out of my mouth. So I'm going to tell you that the words are likely what I said. But I want to read it to you the way I believe I said it. And that's this. White nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and civilization? That's the end of the quote. Just to watch Western civilization become a derogatory term in political discourse today. That's what I believe happened. And it's 13 words, ironically, that's caused this firestorm. And I look at this language that's here, this resolution that the House of Representatives once again rejects white nationalism and white supremacy and hateful expressions of intolerance that are contradictory to the values that define the people of the United States. I agree with that language I've said, but I would add to it the language that I used on this floor in this very place last Friday afternoon when I said, 
I would strengthen it by adding my previous statements, which not only correctly rejects white nationalism and white supremacy as evil ideologies, but also condemn anyone that supports this evil and bigoted ideology that saw in its ultimate expression the systematic murder of six million innocent Jewish lives. All right, so that was Republican Steve King on the House floor giving his statement as to the New York Times. Now, notice, ladies and gentlemen, um, in that particular speech that he did not deny making the statements. Um, And so just so that you understand kind of what the issue is, I am going to read um, exactly what was quoted, at least from his interview um, in the New York Times. So this is the language um, which has caused a kind of outburst from um, citizens and other Republicans and Democrats, um, Democrats in the House and the Senate. Basically, he did a New York Times interview. And if you want to take whatever he says as truth, let's just assume for the sake of argument that what he said is true, that there was no recording of this. What have you? Blah, 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 blah. What you did not hear him say is I deny making that statement. But what he tries to do is he tries to inflect his tone um, to indicate exactly how he said it so that it it, is a softer blow. But remove the tone. Because at the end of the day, when there's only black and white paper and words on a paper, um, you only can read what was said. And so what he said is this, quote, white nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to break this down. Um, White nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Okay, Jose. Is that offensive to you? Okay, so let me take this a step back mm. because take us back. What I heard, what struck me the most, what was he said was, "Why did I sit in class? Why did I sit in class to hear this?" And to me, this kind of takes him back to education. What was he taught to? differentiate other people from what he was not from what he was supposed to actually be or you know be expected to be and honestly from this whole you know recording that he said and writing or auditorial what struck me the most was this why did i sit in class to hear this that white supremacists were the it that the nationalists were the it that we are the people to actually be differentiated than the other people this goes back to what what were people what were younger people taught to actually differentiate from what other people were supposed to be that's what actually stood out to me the most that phrase why did i sit in class why did I waste my time as a child listening to my teachers, listening to my professors, telling me what was the right thing to do, the right thing to learn, the right thing to do in the future? All right. So I hear that. I appreciate that. I, I agree with you. Um, and so what I don't understand is why he doesn't figure why he doesn't realize that this was an inappropriate statement instead of just taking the high road and say look this was a interview i was on the spot um i can understand why my words may have been taken out of context instead of trying to own the fact that he said x y and z he tries to use intonation as a justification for the terms but at the end of the day as a black man here in the united states of america Whenever I hear the terms white nationalist, white supremacist, or Western civilization, nothing about those terms are positive. At the end of the day, the United States was created on the backbones of individuals who were forced here from other nations to be enslaved 
to create the nation in which we have. And so the problem that I have is that in our educational institutions, we tend to wipe that out. We tend to make that look less than what it was. But the fact of the matter is, is that people were enslaved, people were in bondage, people were property. And so black folks, particularly at that particular time, and Native Americans who were, you know, they were scorched from their lands, they were treated like savages and had this imagery of individuals who were not um, humane, that it is problematic, no matter how you look at it. And to have an individual representing a state, a state where um, it is the First, when it comes to president elections, these are the individuals who determine the Iowa caucuses to determine who's going to be running for what. This is an important state and he's representing this state. And so for him to come out and act as if nothing was wrong with it, it's fucking problematic. Excuse my language, but I'm very irritated by this because what folks tend to do is try to erase the history that created the United States of America. But you're missing the point. He's saying, why did I sit in class multiple times? So is the problem himself or the problem of the people who are telling him what to do? It could be a combination of both. It could very well no, be. No, it a cannot be a combination. Yes, it can. No, Let as a child, you are not told that your problems are yourselves until someone tells you what they are. Yes, but what we don't know is we don't know the full story. What right. we don't know, we don't know what his father or his mom was teaching him. At All home. he's saying, and I'm not defending him, uh-huh. is why did I waste my time? I.e., why did I sit in class to learn what? Is supposed to be right because you go to school to learn what is right mm-hmm. you go to school to learn what one plus one is two you go to school to learn that the brain is what it is you go to school to learn what history is mm-hmm. that's what he's saying why did i sit in class to learn that white supremacist was right when now you tell me that it's wrong now i'm not agreeing with him so is the problem him or is the problem who taught him Well, it very well could be a combination of both. But let me just say this. I, too, sat in classes. I'm sure you sat in classes. Um, I'm David, I'm sure you sat in classes as well. Right. Um, and you are an individual, I'm talking to David, who really likes history, right? Right. All right. So there are things that we're taught about history, right? <clears throat> But I don't think I have never sat in a classroom where anyone has communicated to me that white nationalist, white supremacy, or Western civilization was good. What I was taught is what occurred through those times. And based upon that information, I was able to indicate and infer what I believe that message was. What he did not say is, He didn't say that I had a teacher who taught me X, Y, and Z, and so I came to understand this. He said, why did I sit in class? And then what he said was, so that Western civilization could be a derogatory term in politics. So what that tells me is, is that what he believes is that Western civilization is the savior of you know, kind of the poli- the political scheme that we're operating under. But that's not true. Western civilization is about conquering individuals. It's about saying that individuals are not proper, that what you're doing in your civilization is inconsistent with what I believe. And so for therefore, I need to conquer you so that you can come and become me. And this is the whole concept of assimilation. Look at the article. He talked about individuals assimilating into United States culture. The, this melting pot is bullshit mm-hmm. because you don't, there is no such thing as United States culture because United States came and stole everyone's culture and, and made it seem as if it was supposed to be what the white man, unfortunately, okay, let's just talk about history. Unfortunately, that's what it was. And if you really want to respect the concept of a melting pot, it's about multiple cultures coming together to be one. Not the same, but to be one in the same country. No, no, but you, you're missing the point. Okay, you're, what am I missing, Jose? You're missing his point. What's his point? That he was taught. I get it, but, but, but what was he taught? What did he say he was, was taught? was 
why was I told that I was better than everyone else? That's his point. Okay. I'm not saying he's right. I, I'm just I, saying that back then in the 60s, before the Civil Rights Act came up, before the Age Discrimination Act came up, before all those Americans with Disabilities Act came up, he was taught as a young boy, a white boy living in a white picket fence, that he was right. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, why did I sit in class? In other words, he's saying, why did I freaking waste my time listening to these other people telling me what to do? Okay, but what? And he's wrong. And I agree with you. But he's saying, why did I waste my time to do this? Well, but I think that comes to a bigger point. And I, I guess I understand what you're trying to get at. You're not focusing on what he said. Right. You're focusing on the fact that what he is leaning on is what he was taught in class. Exactly. And so that goes to the whole concept, I believe. I'm just, this is me talking. I believe that goes to the whole concept of <laughs> educational institu- institutions whitewashing history. Mm-hmm. And when you whitewash history, and I'm not talking about from a racist standpoint. Whitewash for me means that when you water it down to make it more digestible. Let me just put that. That's what I'm saying. Whitewash means when you make something more digestible, that means you're making it easy to swallow. And to make it easier to swallow, that means you are taking out some parts about things that happen from a historical perspective perspective that. It, it, it makes people uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about slavery. Think about it. No one wants to talk about Native Americans who were badgered or women were raped. No one wants to talk about that. But what we do is we say, oh, it was the Trail of Tears. So in the Trail of Tears, this is what happened. But we don't talk about the way that it happened. And a lot of our kids are not educated on our history because as the United States, we need to accept the good and the bad. And we don't do that. And you think about 1960s, you think about the Civil Rights Act, that was luck. 19, somebody got a calculator. I, I, I've I been drinking, so I can't really calculate this moment. <laughs> but ni- we're in 2019, 19 years ago from 2000, then 40 years. So you talk about 59 years ago that civil rights was going on. And you, Jose, are a Hispanic man. Yep. You, David, are a Hispanic man. Yep. Cool. At you. <laughs> and so there are things that you as minorities and me as an African-American, we can say impacts us. And even though we were not alive when these things happen, it still is something that's ingrained in who we are because we as a country never dealt with it. And we won't deal with it because we like to push things under the rug. That's my perspective. That's my belief. You ain't got to agree. All right. So, David, we have been talking a lot about this. So what do you have to say? All right. So, you know, uh, when I went to school, actually, they were not disclosing too much information about um, history of what happened or how, like you said earlier, uh, USA was formed or become USA. Um, I didn't know there were like 400 years of slavery. Um you know what uh, black people went through and uh, stuff like that they don't actually take the time to actually teach you what the real thing was they're trying to cover it up when when did you go to school uh i graduated in 2011 from high school from high school okay yeah well you young Thank you. It's okay. Um, You don't look young, though. All right, moving on. Uh, So you didn't learn about black history in that sense of what I just discussed at the table. Right, right. They they don't they don't actually teach you details of um, of history when I went to history. But do you think okay? I went to school. (laughs) Hearing what I discussed now. I'm a disclaimer. That's from my perspective. That's my own educational process. Let me just say, when I was in school, we learned this stuff. I also was very interested in it. I went and did my own research. 
I was very interested in the Mayan society or civilization. So I did my independent research. But kids today, I don't think they're doing that. They and don't. so do you feel like you did that? To How did you learn, if at all, about the history of the United States that I just expressed to you? How, how did you learn that? You know, um, I'm not going to lie to you. When I went, actually, when I was in school, didn't actually take the initiative to go beyond and find more information. But just take what the teacher was teaching me, you know, and what were like giving me as in a paper or just fill this up, read this. And that's all we knew. Um, I didn't take the time, but through that time and through all these years that I've been, you know, after high school, um, I was learning a small things after another ones by real people, by telling me, oh, this is what happened and stuff like that. Um, so that's how I learned. And also, you know, as you, as, as I mentioned in the first episode, I just become a citizen. So they actually give you a questionnaire that you have to learn about a hundred and some questions. And that's how I find out more information about the history of the US, of USA and what happened. But when I went to school, it wasn't that long ago, they actually don't take the time to teach you what real happened. I mean, what the real thing was and how it happened. So I would tell you that I have a 14-year-old. Um, we were tempted to get him on a podcast, but, you know, 14-year-olds, they think this isn't cool and blah, blah, blah. So they just give you a whole lot of attitude. So we tried to record him, but, mm, yeah, it didn't work out. So I would, tell, <laughs> I would tell you in my household, I'm very clear on teaching what I understand to be the history that they should learn. And when I look at their history books and I ask them questions about ask them questions about what they've been taught, they're not taught about this. Right. Um, and folks tend to think that when you try to, you know, educate um, these your, the younger individuals, the younger generation about what actually occurred, that you are trying to indoctrinate them to have like this. Oh my God. I hate white people, oh my God, black first, or oh my God, Latin first. But that's not true. I think that when people understand from where they come from or where they came, that they can understand the struggle that it took for individuals before them to get to where they are now. Right. But for individuals getting busted in the head, getting dogs sicked on them and waters, water holes shot on them so that they can vote, individuals wouldn't be able to walk into the the, the voting polls now. I, I, I do and I do I do have a strong uh, say about that. I do feel that um, kids nowadays they don't want their parents to project what happened with their ancestors on them, and probably that's it. It looks like they don't actually care what happened in you know with that history and stuff like that because they don't they were not there. They didn't live that time. They live in what the present is. You know what I'm saying? present is like oh uh there's the white folks here latin uh latin community here black people here and you know as your son he's um puerto rican uh black he i believe that he thinks that he's in between you know that he's welcome everywhere that's my understanding but uh and also like i said kids nowadays they don't want their parents to project their beliefs on then I, I I agree I mean I, I my son and I have had this conversation and I think the reality is is that younger folks believe that because they're so fluid I mean they're fluid sexually they're fluid um, emotionally they're fluid from a racist standpoint or a racism aspect they don't really take in consideration that you're black that you're white that you're Puerto Rican because they feel like hey if you're cool we're friends i agree with that i i wholeheartedly agree with that but the reality is is that when these individuals get into the real world that's just not how it works true and there are going to be barriers for individuals um because of who they are i'll give you a very vivid prime example my son would i he would come down here he would say that i'm too black or i'm too pro-black or blah 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 um, until he had a situation where he was in school and one of his teachers um, pretty much just said that he was a gangster. And just because she, he was black. He didn't want, she didn't want him in the class. Right. Um, and so when I had to go to the school, 
um, and pretty much put her and the principal in their place to so that they understand that you are not going to label my son. Right. Because the moment you label my son, you are an educator. You are the individual that's there with him Monday through Friday, certain times of the day. You are an individual who can have an impression on him. And if you're going to label him as a gangster or label him as this, that's what he's going to believe. And because he's in a school where there are not a lot of black folks, that creates a situation where he's been pigeonholed um, as a certain type of individual because of who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and folks don't seem to understand that. Like, you can you can have such an impression on these young people um, and you can place them in these categories um, just, just uh, at the end of the day, just completely wrong. But I think that goes back to my point. Who's teaching her children to... Come on. Become the people that they're going to become. Teach them. I mean, I do believe that. No, 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 no. Go. Hold on. Really? Uh-huh. Who is teaching our children? Is it the teachers or uh, our parents? Parents. I think it should be uh, And who's stepping in to actually tell our children what is right and what is wrong? No, I agree wholeheartedly. It's, it's, yeah, it's, and, it, and it's it, good it, that you're saying something. But it, it, there's it, so much that you can do because you can control what happened in the house. Right. What happened when he walked out of the house, that's something that someone else is controlling like you know teachers for right. example i do believe now that you know like who's the, telling them who's right? telling them but you need to you need to see that teachers nowadays they are all folks and they're very powerful and they are really powerful exactly and there are people they have lived in those in that history mm-hmm. between the 60s 60s and 70s because the 80s. kids will believe it exactly kids so will believe whatever they hear there are teachers nowadays there are all folks already teaching and they still have those beliefs, even mm-hmm. though they read in a book, because that principal told them, or whoever yeah. tells teacher to teach whatever they have to teach, they still believe in. Okay, this is how this is how I was raised, yep. and this is let me. This is what I'm going to teach to these new folks. So, it's, it's a mix of both. You know what I'm saying? But in the house, I do believe in the household, parents should have the most control of what their kids are going to believe and how they're going to grow too uh, like you know you are a single parent I do believe that you have the most powerful voice word alright so before we move on to the next topic let me just say this that there there are a lot of single parents out there there are a lot of um, two family households meaning that the, the, the father and the, and the mother is there um, and so there are always going to be issues. And the thing as a parent is you only can do what you can do. Right. Um, and it's, so it's important for you to educate your child um, about where they come from because they can't depend on the school system, unfortunately, um, because it, it's difficult, right? I, I, I can understand it from a from a from a educational standpoint. How much of this this difficult history do you want to push on these children, particularly when you want them to be more, um, I I don't want to use the word assimilated, but that's what I'm going to use. You want these kids to be more assimilated into what you consider to be um, United States culture. So it it is a battle. Um, It's difficult. Um, But, you know, as a single parent, you push for, you do everything that you can. You push your your, um, children to go out and be the best individual that he or she can. Um, and that's all you can do. Right. Um, and at this table, I am the only parent. So therefore, <laughs> my perspective matters. No, I'm just playing. Um, all right. So we are now going to go to the main topic of this episode. It is whose success is it anyway? Anyway. anyway. Like, how anyway. am I defining who I am, what I want to be, how do I define my level of accomplishment? Um, Now, Jose, I understand that this was a topic that you really want to talk about. So I am going to turn it over to you. (coughs) All right. So, Jose, 
Um, just so that we can have some background information for the listeners, I'm going to tell you what I understand your history to be. You correct me um, if I'm incorrect. What I understand is that you're anchor baby. That means that your parents came here from a, another country. My understanding is from Mexico, that you were born here in the United States of America. That is in Houston, that your parents going to use you as um now, I, I don't really want to say justification, but you were going to be the reason that, that if they decided to stay in the United States to become citizens, that it would give them the proper legal right to do so. Is that accurate thus far? Yep, that's right. pretty much it. All right. Um, and so, so, but what I understand from you is that ultimately your parents decided to go back to the country, Mexico. Right. And when, what year did they decide to do that approximately? The same year that I was born. Which was when? Uh, 87. So you were born in 87. Did you go back to Mexico as, as well, or did you stay here in America? Yes. So I was an anchor baby. They had me, and then my parents brought me back to Mexico. Okay. And how long did you stay in Mexico? Uh, up until I was in sixth grade, so whatever that time frame was. All right. And so did you come back to America at that time? Yes. Did your parents come back with you? Uh, not really. Okay, what does that mean? What does not really mean? Um, so I had like the American dream of, you know, wanting to come to the U.S. and wanting the better life. So I met my mom met like a friend of a friend. Then I ended up coming to school in the U.S. in sixth grade. All right. So, and was English your first language or second language? My second language. And did you, how, 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 how did that make you feel um, in the educational system in America as English your second language? Very uncomfortable. And why is that? It's just very uncomfortable because I didn't know any English. And everyone knew English and it's one of those things that everyone knows something but you don't. Did you feel less than as a result of that? Yes. Um, and so, was there a point in time where you felt like um, not only that you were less than, that you were, I, I don't really want to use this word, but I, slower than the other kids or not learning at the same pace as the other kids? To me, it was more of becoming better than them. So you, you made in your mind that you needed to... I needed to be better than them so Why? that I could be proud of my culture. Culture being what? Mexican. Right. In my mind was, I knew that I was behind them and I needed to be better than them in grades and in speech and in perception okay. so that I could excel all right um and so let me tell you a little bit uh just to put things in perspective i of course i was born here in america my people <laughs> most people from back home in detroit thought i was born somewhere else but i wasn't because of the way i talk in my accent whatever the accent may be but i was born in detroit 313 <laughs> what a color cast technical high school <laughs> technicians what it do <laughs> um but anyhow i had kind of a situation where i had a teacher her name was miss lucy miss lucy did not like sean she despised me and in fact what she would do is is that when we were in class i don't know if you all remember you uh, david you might be too young you graduated in 2011 yeah. there was um a situation where she would take these rolling bookcase. There was like these green. I remember me, them. Yeah. yeah, I remember this vividly. They were like these green looking bookcase. She would roll them and make a square. She would put me in the middle of it. And she would tell me that I was too stupid and dumb to be with the other kids. And so for most of my elementary, I really thought I was stupid. Like I really thought I was dumb. I really thought I couldn't learn. Um, and she would put me there every day. Now, I never told my mom this. I didn't tell my mom. I don't even think, maybe if she listens, she knows, but I never knew this. And so when I was in school, I, 
that's my perception. That's what I understood. If the lady in the front of the room was telling me I was too stupid to du- and dumb to learn, then obviously I was too stupid and dumb to learn. And so I didn't perform. Like I got bad grades. I got like, at that time it was like one, twos and threes. Threes being the worst. I got threes um, almost in every class because I just felt like I was stupid. And then I went to middle school and one day I was sitting in class and uh, like my math class and the teacher kept saying, okay, what's this, what's that? And I knew the answer, but I didn't raise my hand because I felt like, okay, if I raise my hand, I'm dumb. And I don't want people to know that I'm stupid. And so someone else will raise their hand, it'll be the wrong fucking answer. And I'd be like, in my head, I didn't say this, I didn't curse at the time, but I'd be like, bitch, that's wrong. Like, (laughs) this is the answer. And then finally I decided, you know what? I'm smart. Like, I know that I can do this. And I, ever since then, like, I got straight A's. I got straight A's in, in middle school, pretty much in high school. And it was at a point in time when I got a B one time. I got so fucking pissed and, and, and upset that I contemplated, don't follow me, people, committing suicide because I felt like I was dumb. Like, this B was indicative of me being stupid. And that has nothing to do with me being weak. It has to do with the fact that I had an individual who had power, who had the authority to make me feel better. And instead of making me feel better, they made me feel stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm kind of an overachiever now. Like, I always feel like I have to prove that I'm more than what anyone else thinks of me. Um, because of that experience. And so I can just imagine as a person who doesn't speak the language um, that you feel like you have to exceed and exceed more than anyone else. Right. Um, so, David, you are from El Salvador. Right. And you came to America when you were about 11. Right. Um, and did you speak English? No, not at all. All right. So what was your experience of trying to learn um, through the educational system. So, so when I came to the country, and uh, and it was not just math or science, because it could be the same thing, you know, math, science, whatever. But everything is just is in a different language, a language that I didn't speak. But uh, and until today, you know, I came when I was eleven. I'm 26 now. Uh, I still have issues, you know, uh, per- with the pronunci- pronunciation, and because part of your your, if we could be frank with the listeners, right, your hesitation of doing this is that you felt like you were not uh, good enough, I good believe. enough to speak, right. right, right, because you felt like. A, you didn't have the educational background, whatever that may be. Right. And you also felt like there was this language barrier that prevented you to express right. who you are. And I think, and I think, I still believe there are, there's still that uh, English barrier on, on me uh, that still make me doubt that I can do something. How do you define, define your level of success like? Is it based upon what you think others think you should be doing, or how did you define what is successful to you? I think it's, it's a kind of mix because my younger brother actually, he came, uh, you know, he's two years younger than me, but he came at the same time. You know, I was 11, he was nine, but um, he is already accomplished more than what I had because he doesn't have those doubts, he doesn't have those insecurities I, as I do. So I believe that I'm not what I want to be. And there are people that want me to do A, Y, and C. They are um, they trying to parent me or to tell me what to do as a grown man. And instead of making a positive um, view for me, they actually making me step back. You know, like you know, I'm not gonna do what you want me to do. Um, I seen folks that they take their time to figure things out, and I think I'm in that predicament right now. That I am trying to figure it out and trying to find um, who I really want to be. 
And so when you say who you want to be, are you talking about like professionally? Or professionally, what? Uh, professionally at this point, because that is something that I'm considered uh, because I've been told like you, you know, like you just said earlier that there is people or there was this power, powerful person telling you that you're not good enough, that you're stupid. Um, you know, like your t-shirt you said when you were a kid. And there are being folks and people that are telling me the same thing. But do you feel like you give too much credence to those individuals? Like, I, I think let, I, let, I, I let, think. let me say this. I know out of full disclaimer, you have I, you and I have had offline conversations, right? Where you make it appear as if you're not good enough in what you're doing, right? And I feel like, and I think this is accurate. You can say if I'm wrong, but I've always told you that you are allowing people to dictate, kind of your level or where you need to be for success wise because you're smart. I do and, believe I'm smart. I do, and, and, I do. And, 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 and you need to stop letting what others may think about you dictate where you need to be because you know what you want. I mean, I know you're in this situation where you're trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do professionally, blah, 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 blah. Right. But at the end of the day, you have goals, you have, you have expirations. Right. Um, and as long as you allow individuals to limit you and you stay with that limitation, then you're allowing individuals to control kind of where you want to go. Sometimes, you know, let's not, um, sometimes I believe, or oh, there are plenty of times because there have been people that are telling me that, you know, I'm not good enough and stuff like that. Um, but I have come to a realization that the biggest obstacle is myself because I keep on telling myself that I'm not good enough that if I try that I'm not gonna be good enough that I won't have that brain to process and to understand um, what I'm going to put myself into because there's so many things that I want to you know there are so many subjects that I want to go to school for but then the hesitation to go and to think that okay I'm not gonna be good enough that's what make me stay back. So, Jose, um, we're, we're talking about defining success. Whose success is it anyway? This is kind of your topic. For you, how did you define your level of success and where you want it to be? I think for me, it was very much of uh, my parents, my mom telling me what success was. I remember doing you know writing skills and pretending that I was doing the right thing and then she would like review it and she would scramble it up and say no you're wrong this is not what it's supposed to be and I would write my name and just say you know Jose Galvan and write my name J-O-S-E-G-O-V-N and she would just be like, that's not your name. And she would just scramble it up and be like, do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again, until it was perfect. So that's interesting because when I was little, so my first name is really Deontay. And apostrophe in the middle. More apostrophe. But throughout school, I will allow people to call me, like my teachers, whatever, Dante or whatever, without the apostrophe. And I would get into the custom of just spelling my name Dante. So my name is D apostrophe capital O N T as in Tom A E. But I would just spell it D O N T A without the capital O without the apostrophe. So there was one time when I brought some papers home. I was like, Ma, look, I got this, blah, blah, blah. And she took the paper and she was like, Who the hell is Dante? Like, Hello, <laughs> point me. to me, me, your son, you know, born April 14th, that's me, I'm Aries. Um, and she was like, yeah, no, I didn't name you this. And I was <laughs> like, what? What's going on? And I actually got a whooping. What? Because you let people call you. Because like I let people um, define who I was. Right. And so that was a powerful moment for me. And I don't think she realized what she was doing for me. Yeah. So that's why now, like at my jobs, like I would say my name is Deontay. I go by Sean because all my family call me Sean. My middle name is Sean. Um, and so, 
you know, my first professional job, people would be like, oh, this Dante, this Deontay, blah, blah, blah. And I sent out an email, office-wide. Hey, my name is Deontay, spelled D-apostrophe, capital O-N-T-A-E. If you can't get that right, then you can say shun. And people were taken a little back from that. Yeah. Um, but what I don't think people understand is that your identity is who you are. And if you allow people to not correct your name and not call you by your name, then you give them power right. to decide what they may think about you. It they may sound stupid. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it may seem stupid, but you know, yeah, minorities, we have different names. You know, Deontay is in a common name, whatever, right. and definitely New England spelled the same way, D apostrophe capital, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's who I am. And so it's important not to let people call you more than what you are. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, like, with, like, with like Jose said uh, about parents, right? Right. Uh, my, well, you know, my mom was a single mom since the beginning of time <laughs> like when the dinosaurs were here or really? you know, she 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 knew that she was going to be <laughs> a single mom so she would um she would do what she couldn't do in school you know uh she i don't think she finished high school actually because she went to uh, uh she went to school in uh in our country and even though she went to private schools and stuff like that, but she never finished high school. She, I think she dropped off like in half a year of, of senior year. Um, so she will, real, she will be like super hard on us to accomplish what she didn't accomplish. So that gives my brother and I like a, like a more heavier thing on our shoulders because we need to prove a success to become successful because she couldn't so she will tell us i don't want you to be behind a, a, a high hammer or being on constructions i want you to guys be behind a computer typing sitting and not break your backs like i do now and I, but in the day i didn't understand i just want i, I just was thinking she just want us to do what she couldn't do and like, you know, A, Y, and C, but now that I'm growing and I see what she's talking about, you know, I kind of appreciate that she was that hard on us. Uh, you know, nowadays kids, they basically parents their parents instead of being the opposite of how it was before. Right. Yeah. All right, so we are winding down here. We have been um, engaging in some adult beverages. <laughs> Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, we want you to leave this this conversation understanding, um, or at least uh, having a, a, the ability to have a thought-provoking moment that um, your level of success is defined by other folks. So you can't always compare yourself to what Joe Smo down the street is doing. You have to understand who you are, what you bring, but you also need to stop limiting yourself. I say move forward, keep your head yep. up always at any point in time no matter how old you are no matter how young you are think about where you can be where you can go and and go from there and go from there all right so we are done on this particular podcast in this particular episode about defining whose success is it whose success is it Anyway, anyway, it is my it success. Is mine. That means I define who I am, and if you don't like it, you ain't gotta be around with it. All right. Once again, I'm your host Sean. I am joined by Jose. Hey guys, thank Jose. you so much for sticking around, and I will see you around. All right, Jose, are you done with your vodka and club soda? Never, but yes, never. <laughs> All right. And we have David, 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 David. Say something to the people. Hey, thank you, you guys, for listening. Um, you know, we'll be back in two weeks again with a different episode. Uh, thank you so much for your uh, support. And um, yeah, we've been, we've been drinking, so we're going to keep the party going on. 
All right. We'll see you later on. All right. Before we go, we have two individuals who speak Spanish, so I'm going to have both of them <laughs> say something in Spanish and say and see who's the better Spanish speaker. No, seriously. All right. How's that? Say something to people in Espanol. Gracias por acompañarnos, amigos. Nos vemos muy luego. All right. And what does that mean? Thank you for being here. We'll see you later. All right. And David, you need to talk that. This competition. All right, David, say something to the people in Espanol. Well, gracias every, uh, a todos los, los, los escuchantes que nos uh, están soportando en las um, redes sociales. Gracias por su soporte y uh, estaremos con, con ustedes en dos semanas. All right. And that means... Thank you to all of our listener, listeners and thank you for the support through social media and we'll be back in two weeks. All right. And that is a wrap. This is Peeps Creek, the Double Entendre Podcast. Double all right. All the music that you heard on today's episode was created by my brother, Crazy Dream, out of 313 Detroit, Michigan, with Blazing the Heat music. He does great things. I just tell him, hey, I want this. This is my concept. And he creates it and he sends it to me. So love it. that's what family is for. I love you, big brother. Uh, he's the oldest, but I feel like mentally, I'm really the oldest. So anyway, um, I appreciate it, and we are out.